Hello and welcome to Classroom 101, the podcast on all things education, from best practice to the very worst. I'm Andy Van Der Hayden, a journalist turned teacher. I created this podcast so that more educators could have access to the ideas and wisdom of our profession's greatest minds. In Classroom 101, we strive to improve education by calling out its least helpful terms, paradigms, systems or practices, suggesting better alternatives. Our guest this week is Sonia Thompson. Sonia is the recently appointed head teacher of St Matthew's CE Teaching and Research School in Birmingham. The school were the first winners of the Open University United Kingdom Literacy Association Whole School Reading for Pleasure School of the Year. And Sonia is a co-opted member of the United Kingdom Literacy Association's National Council. She has spoken at various conferences about reading for pleasure, talk for writing, and curriculum. I really enjoyed this chat with Sonia, not just about her 20 plus year career and what she'd throw out of education, but also some of the more personal discussions nearer the end. I hope you enjoy it too. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. When education's in pretty bad shape, teachers are leaving on a plan and their escape. There's not enough time to teach the things you should. Time to banish education sense. You do it if you could. Time for classroom 101. Time for classroom 101. Time for classroom 101. Budget slashing everywhere. The government insists it cares. Are we raising quality with all the endless scrutiny? If you hate and in those sadless able labels Time to save our education From self-imposed cremation Time for classroom 101 Time for classroom 101 Yeah, it's time for every teacher's favorite podcast Classroom 101 Classroom 101 Sonia, hello Hello, Andy Hello, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're welcome, you're welcome. Before we start, I need to say congratulations because this is your first year of headship, is it not? Yes, my first four days. <laughs> yeah, first, <laughs> as we record, four days in. I'm on day four. Day wow, four. must be busy. Yes, gosh, you, just don't, you don't realise how busy it is, but um, it's, it's exciting mm-hmm. and it's it's fascinating and I'm I've really enjoyed my four days wonderful just if I could ask you to transport yourself back to where you started your career and just to take us through your journey to headship yes um gosh my career started over 20 years ago um I'd say about 23 years ago um fresh freshly qualified in Birmingham and I started my first post um, as an NQT in London. Um, and I actually taught in North London, um, Salisbury Primary School. Um, and it was a really, really great start to my career. Really exciting. A great head teacher who taught me lots of things that I still do today. Um, moved on from Salisbury and came back to Birmingham after I had my daughter and started teaching at various schools and then ended up at school in Ladywood mm-hmm. uh, in Birmingham a tough school a school that was in special measures and I went in as the Senko 
they hadn't had a sinkhole for about four years and I had to pick up everything but it was a baptism of fire and it was really exciting and it was a great school difficult children but fantastic children as children always are even when they're difficult Mm -hmm. Um, and I had a great time there Um, I I left teaching for a little bit to take up a post as an education advisor for a a company that were focused on supporting people into work and into education and then Yes, and I did that for about a year, um, and it was it was an interesting role. Um, lots of meetings, um, okay. lots of blue sky thinking, but I realised that it wasn't for me because it wasn't very hands on, mm. and I'd kind of left the classroom to do it. It gave me lots of experience, though lots of different experiences, and I actually ended up get, going back to London to Brent, where I started a kind of a little career path as an English consultant working on various projects, including um, projects around supporting black pupils and working with schools that were in disadvantage, uh, which was really fascinating. But again, God, London was just too expensive, basically. You bounced back to Birmingham. Went back to Birmingham uh, to work for Birmingham Local Authority as an English consultant again. Okay. Uh, And I worked as an English consultant at Birmingham for about five years. Um, And again, it was a really, really interesting job. Worked with some great people who I I still keep in contact with. So as I'd worked in quite a lot of schools, um, I was actually contacted by one of the heads that I worked with um, and supported. And she asked me if I was interested in the deputy heads post. And I jumped straight into school about eight years ago and that was the best thing I ever did it was great to be back in the classroom right and that deputy headship over the last why has it been so good the the last seven eight years the head who asked me to come was a really she she had just started her headship as well um she'd been here for about two years and it was a very very different place lots of issues um lots of concerns around safeguarding around the teachers and uh, and and just the systems and i think when i came in it was just a great time because our 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 way of working really just aligned Mm. and together we were able to work um, on moving the school forward and we ended up in 2015 going to the outstanding if you know if outstanding means anything we were able to get that label yeah um, in 2015 so it was a great journey with somebody who's very much like-minded we worked really well together and we were able to do as I said lots of things sounds super and how did you move from there to becoming a head the head moved on so yes I applied for the post and went through the interview process and was very fortunate to get it so hence where I am today I see can you tell us about some of the exciting things you're doing there Yes, we became a teaching school um, about a year ago, last year, September, hmm. um, after a long process, although we've realised that teaching schools, you know, there's a change in climate around teaching schools. We've, we've, we're keeping, keeping on going in terms of the work that we do. We've always been a school that has supported other schools. We're a one-form entry church school. Hmm. And I think both myself and the 
previous head um, I've always been passionate about supporting other schools I suppose it's with, with being a consultant I've always been in and out of other schools and seeing the types of things um, that schools have needed to support them to move forward particularly in, a, in the area of literacy English school improvement reading mm. so uh, we've been involved with other schools supporting them uh, we were supporting a, another school very heavily um, and I became a strategic head for a short while about two years and supported that school out of special measures um, oh. as well so we've done a lot of support for other schools Could, would you mind explaining what a teaching school means a teaching school is a school that um applies for a, a designation um a teaching school designation designation um, which require, requires that school to support school other schools with school improvement um, with recruiting new teachers and I can't remember what the third area is to understand and unpick um, research and learning yeah okay you're a, you're a research school you're in EEF yeah, yeah we're a brand new EEF research school and we got again we got our designation in July so that's the um, education endowment fund education endowment fund mm-hmm. and, and what does that mean? mean well it will mean for us that we will because we again we're very much a school that is led evidence-based curriculum mm. practice um, and that's evolved over the years and I think we'd probably say that we're very much a, a knowledge rich school mm-hmm. combined with um, elements of um, focusing on the children's um, lives and ensuring that they they have the best start that they can um, and we've we've always made sure that we've used research to support all the initiatives that we've moved forward so we thought actually we use a lot of the education endowment fund um, resources and when the application process came around we said it would be great um, for us to be part of that so yes and is that part of what you'll do now as being an EEF research school? Will you be sharing and disseminating not only that research, but kind of how you put it into practice with other schools? Yes, yeah. That's what we'll be doing. Obviously, the research schools have a remit, and that is to support disadvantaged areas. Mm-hmm. So we'll be working with schools in in areas of particular disadvantage in Birmingham and, and we're one of two schools in Birmingham. Birmingham didn't have any research schools so um, we're one of two new designated schools. Great. So yeah, we'll be supporting schools um, to move forward the research, yeah. It's, it's maybe a tricky question but if you could pick out one piece of research that you've found particularly useful or has particularly affected way, which direction your school has gone in give one that stands out it sounds a bit cliche because every everybody's talks about rosa shines principles mm. uh, and it sounds as i said it sounds very very um, <laughs> in 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 now it's very fashionable uh, at the moment yeah it's very fashionable but we we were using rosa shines principles um a good good two years ago okay um working you know on it supporting staff to understand it and it's guided a lot of our practice i think alongside that we've been heavily engaged with all the research around reading for pleasure Mm. and um, particularly the research from uklea around there being specific 
pedagogies that support teachers to support pupils to move that will to want to read for pleasure and certainly the idea that reading for pleasure is a big indicator of outcomes for children um, mm. when they move into secondary and beyond and those children that do read for pleasure are the ones that um, do academically better so as a school we've been really engaged with all aspects of reading for pleasure yeah. Which has included running a, a teacher's reading group for a couple of yeah. years. Can you tell us a yes. bit about that? Yes. When I was an English consultant in Birmingham, I was part of research about 10 years ago with um, UKLA um, looking at building reading communities. So I, 10 years ago, I worked with schools, a couple of schools in Birmingham to just unpick what are the particular pedagogies around reading for pleasure that supports a, a teacher to move children's reading for pleasure forward. Um, out of that came a book. Um, called Building, Building Communities of Readers and Teresa Kremin, Professor Teresa Kremin, Marilyn Mottram uh, were involved in that so I worked, for, worked with them 10 years ago on that. Out of that book then has come a website and the teacher reading groups has evolved and it's supporting teachers to support um, their schools to move reading for pleasure forward so that at present we've got there's about 90 teacher reading groups across the country and we started off with about 30 moved in on the first year moved on to about 50 70 and then this year it's about 90 so it's practitioners in schools who have had training and um, supporting other practitioners to move reading for pleasure forward within their schools yes Okay. Can you give me a couple of tips? Uh, as somebody myself, a new leader to a school at the moment, if I wanted to really get reading for pleasure as a focus, are there some quick wins or some tips, to, good ways to get going? Yeah. I think one of the big tips is to um, create some sort of reading spine for your school and, and, and section off that time in the day and I'm not saying it has to be the end of the day where um, teachers have to read aloud to pupils mm. I think sometimes it does get really busy but certainly when I started here uh, one of the things I said to the teachers that reading reading aloud to children is one of the big areas um, that supports children in terms of vocabulary in terms of understanding um, lots of different aspects of learning not just in in um, in terms of reading for pleasure but across the curriculum um, because you can read a range of books you're building background knowledge but if teachers within schools feel so pressurized and don't uh, and don't feel that they're able to stop teaching at certain times and actually dedicate time then it will never happen so one of the things that i i i made sure that staff were doing was saying that i give you permission as the senior leader to stop at 250 and you can pack everything away and you can read aloud and get your children just to enjoy being read to and listening to good quality text being read aloud to them Mm. Um, I had to police that, believe it or not, because staff were just, oh, we, we, we can't finish. But I said, I'm, I need you to put things away and I need you to create that space and section it off and get the children to understand that this is sacred space that I'm not giving up because I need to read aloud to you and I need you to listen and enjoy the, the books that um, either I've chosen or you've chosen. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so it took a while, but we 
we've created that space. And it's not just at the end of the day. We, we, we will read any time during the day. We're a school that works very hard in terms of teaching and learning. Um, and part of that teaching and learning for us is creating space um, whenever we need to, to read aloud to the children and just enjoy books. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, having had a sneak preview, to what you're going to be throwing into Classroom 101 today. This seems like a good segue. Yes. In Classroom 101, we strive to improve education by calling out its least helpful terms, paradigms, systems, or practices, suggesting some better alternatives. So, spoiler alert, I wonder what it's going to be. <laughs> but what's the first thing that you might throw into Classroom 101, Sonia? That phrase, there's no time to read aloud. Okay. Just get rid of that phrase. <laughs> you've, got, you've got to make time. And, and uh, for me, it's not just making time. It's A, it's the children's right to be read aloud too. Um, the other thing is that if you want to think about it academically, the research is clear. The re evidence-based reading for pleasure practice enhances children's attainment across the curriculum. So if nothing else, do it for the attainment. And you're talking specifically about there's research to show that when an adult reads aloud yeah. to the children, it has that impact yeah. on their attainment. It has an impact because you're building background knowledge, you're enhancing vocabulary, you're mm. getting them to tune into structures of writing. And, and so there's so many um, opportunities. You're, you're creating opportunity for discussion, for talk, for making links and connections across the curriculum. So, yeah. Yeah. And does it almost go without saying that when you're talking about reading aloud to children, you're not talking purely about reading the book, but you're talking about all the extra that comes with it. What Aidan Chambers would call book talk. Um, book talk, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think you kind of made a point about the fact that we kind of assume that teachers know what good, what good reading aloud is. Mm. And actually, we often have to take time to go through how do you use your voice which bits do you know to pause at? Um, how do you change voices for characters if it's a fiction book? Um, how do you read nonfiction um, mm -hmm. and bring that into the reading aloud time? So it's that, it's, it's creating space as well to support and empower staff to do it really well. And that takes training. Um, and often we just think, okay, just read aloud. And teachers get very wor worried by it. And hence why some teachers just don't do it. Mm. They just don't do it. They don't see the, the, the point of it. I think teachers uh, sometimes also put off because there, there can be one or two other adults in the room, perhaps as yes. assistants or supporting one-to-one. -one. And uh, sometimes it's a bit nerve-wracking reading aloud. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. In front absolutely. of other adults, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, take practice. Um, it takes time. Um, don't don't worry about failing. Um, don't worry about getting it wrong. The children love when the adults get it wrong anyway. Um, and it, you can always turn it into a, a learning point. Mm -hmm. So um, I just think keep keep plugging away at it. But for me, if a school's going to commit to it, I think it is worth doing some investigation, whoever's in charge, and just doing some uh, some sort of inset and support um, for teachers on what does good reading aloud look like. And again, there's lots of, if I can just find post people to a website, yeah. um, research, 
rich pedagogies and that's the OU, the Open University United Kingdom Literacy Association website that is all things reading for pleasure mm. and um, the, the evidence-based practice they've broken all of those areas down and teachers can literally if you want to run insets around what does good reading allows sound like what you need to do there's powerpoints for insets and training on that website yeah i had a glance at it when we were speaking um, a few weeks back and yes. just at the briefest first glance i thought oh how has this been there the whole time yes absolutely. You know, in a previous school this was one of our key focuses a key drive was to get the the reading aloud to children happening daily and i can really yes. relate to what you you said earlier about I had to actually go and check and and ensure yeah. and and to yeah. get across to teachers no this this has to happen because to, they yeah. were saying no 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 we just needed to finish this or we because it was yeah. you know it was at the end of the day and they said, oh no we needed to hand out these letters and we was we were saying no 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 this we've created this time specifically yes. for this and it's vital and and what's great about that website is it has so much um, support there not only for how to do it but also how to can kind of convince the staff yes how important yeah. it is, right yeah lots of practical teacher driven examples on the website so it's not somebody um in in a university just um saying that this is what the research says it's actually been translated and into schools and teachers have, have written up examples of what their good practice looks like and shared it on the website and there's hundreds of examples for each of the key areas yeah mm, brilliant it's a really great website for that thank, thank you for that have you, have you got any other tips that you would give to maybe a head teacher who's listening who thinks oh do you know what we we don't really apart from maybe in a guided reading session we don't really have that set up at the moment. I mean, mm. for example, I just mentioned how we set it up in one of my previous schools at the end of the day. Yeah. Is that a bad time? Is there a good, a good time? Is there a good way to set it up to make sure that it really happens? Uh, it takes a whole school response. Of course, teachers can do it in their classrooms. And I think there's lots of examples of great teachers across the country moving um, reading, independent reading, reading for pleasure aloud in their own classrooms. I think to do it well, to sustain it, to get the children really engaged in it and to get parents engaged in it, it takes a whole school um, approach. And one of the things that we certainly did was I, we, I put it on our school development plan um, and it was was uh, on our school development plan for about two years um, just to keep us focused on this as one of our aims for moving reading for pleasure forward and of course if you put it on your school development plan you've got to show some impact in terms of moving it forward so I think it's about just making it really clear really obvious being accountable um, to others governors that if that's one of the things that your school has said you're going to move forward then you've got to show that impact um, if you value it put it on those action plans and those school development plans mm. yeah it, it might sound to to some listeners a bit strange they might say what do you mean so you're saying that some schools are out there not really uh, where the teachers don't really read aloud to the children but I think what we know from practice is that with all the requirements of the curriculum and there's so much to fit yes. in, um, yeah. there tends to be in many primary schools a guided reading session, but that yeah. guided reading session won't typically have much of the reading aloud to children that we're talking about. It might actually oh. more commonly have um, some children on a rotor, paragraph by paragraph, reading to the teacher. Yeah. 
but that's very different, isn't it? Which is fine because you're t that's the skill. You're teaching the, the the skill of reading. You're teaching that and that the comp complex skill of reading. Um, but you've also, I, for me, and certainly coming out of the research, um, Theresa Kremlin talks about will and skill. And there's always been a tension between will and skill. But certainly for St Matthews, my school, we have reconciled that without will, skill, we can always do skill. But the more will, willing the children are to read and enjoy reading for pleasure, relaxing, reading, making space in our day to do that, the more the children like to be taught how to read the skill of reading, the testing of reading. Um, they like to do the, both of those things. So it's about making space. And the research shows that doing both of those things well makes a difference. Mm. And it certainly made a difference for us. Mm. Yeah. And particularly when you think that many children don't have that experience at home. There isn't an adult no, no. being yeah. allowed. Uh, and I think that's a, key, that's, a really, yeah, that's a really key, key point. And certainly in lots of areas of deprivation like our own, mm. um, with fabulous families, but books are not necessarily the first thing that, that they bring into the home. Mm. Um, so we're constantly trying to get books into homes, which constantly... Um, engaging with parents around reading reading aloud uh, and the impact of that um, 10 minutes a day um, makes an impact of, in, in terms of attainment so it's really crucial for us that if if they get no other experiences of of, of listening to good quality books and relaxing and reading and talking book talk then we're, we're certainly going to provide that at the school at our school mm, thank you so the, the phrase there's no time to read aloud to children, goes into classroom 101. We're going to, we're going to throw that away. <laughs> right, what's next up then? Um, I've talked about excessive marking and we're going to throw excessive marking away. Mm -hmm. And it, it, It's certainly a, a journey that, that my school's been on and I know that it's, a, it's becoming a, a priority nationally. You know, lots of people are talking about it. Um, I'm hoping that schools are not just talking about it, and, but are actually trying to find those ways of just banishing um, that excessive marking. It just doesn't make a difference. We were in a place, and I think we were, it was right to be in that place, because that's what everyone was telling us to do, was to mark... Um, the children had to respond to our marking, and then we had to respond to the marking, to their mm, response to marking. our marking. Um, so... <laughs> And, you know, we, we were told that that was the right thing to do. And, and now that the research is clear and it's saying that actually it doesn't make a difference, giving all, verbal feedback to children in the moment as they're working and making time to talk to children about um, things that need to change um, makes much more of an impact. So, yeah. And we've been on a journey with that. And we're at a place now where market is minimal, minimal. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. You, you've you're trained, aren't you, uh, in talk for writing? That's been yes, a, we are. A big yes, part of your career. So yes, we are. Yeah. Would I be right in guessing that you've come from a place at some point where there was uh, heavy marking, including possibly there, there were colours, there were triple colours, and there were okay. there was everything that went with that. We, we did it, <laughs> but. I think it, talk for writing. Um, a credit to Pi and you know Pi Corbett and and those that that work with him. Um, they're very open 
to schools and I think that's that that's where talk for writing works really well for me um, on on that level is that Pi has been re- really astute in in that he's recruited schools who've got best practice in talk for writing and that he brings us together to get feedback around some of these um, ideas and how does that actually apply into class um, and again very open to those changes when schools then feedback that actually we've got to you know we're taking um, a lot more account of the research and what the research is telling us and what the impact has been in our own schools mm. so yeah yeah absolutely and I mean I I trained and taught at a talk for writing training school myself so oh, I, right. I, know, I know exactly what you mean and I, yes, I yes. hope I didn't come across when I mentioned that that you know talk for writing is in some way linked to really heavy marking you know or anything like that but it, but it is one example of um, you know a a kind of a system which when it when it was launched you know there was a particular way of marking that kind of was advised um and now you know a lot of schools like you say are starting to adapt to that um yeah and 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 that's going right across the board isn't it with uh english maths uh, uh, back to goodness app uh, yes, you know, oh goodness me, yes. <laughs> those those days. Um, so you're very much convinced by the evidence that uh, there's no need for uh, much no. written marking at all. No, no. We very much moved towards whole class feedback. And again, we were, we were doing that a good two years ago mm. and we moved into that. Um, so, and we're convinced, absolutely convinced. That's got to go in the bin. Um, and I'm not saying because I, 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 let me backtrack a little bit. I'll take a little bit out of room 101. Um, <laughs> I think there's obviously there's there's points in teaching when you've got it's the looking, and I think te- we often get confused. No marking doesn't mean no looking at the work. We've got to look at the work. We've got to look at it in detail, and we've got to pick out the elements that are working and the elements that are not. Mm. And we've got to then give the feedback as quickly as possible and support the children um, through the, through our modelling, through our scaffolding, to move those areas forward. So um, you know, it's not about no marking, no looking, um, no one just moving anything forward. It's about being very, very um, uh, clear about uh, when you've looked at that. What what are the next steps for those children um, mm-hmm. and what what have they done really well um, you, if you if you looked at our books you'd see some ticking of things um, that, that have done well but you won't see any extensive writing from the teachers um, that sums up what they've seen we'll talk that through mm-hmm. um, with the children yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay thank you so excessive marking will be a popular yes. one flying yeah. into classroom 101 um, What's third and finally up for Classroom 101, Sonia? Yes, we're going to put in the bin anybody um, that thinks that it's okay to do more than three data drops a year. Half-termly data. Um, no, we're not, we're not doing that. <laughs> Why not? Much. It's more information. Oh, information is power. Oh, no. Um, I think, it, again, it's about, I, I think... Um, what what I'm appreciating, I think there's a climate now around trusting teachers more and trusting that we we know what's going on in our rooms. Yes, we test. Yes, we need to, to skill children up in taking tests. Um, yes, at the end of each term, we can analyse those. But um, I suppose there's that phrase, weighing the pig, um, you know, it, 
in six weeks, gosh, I don't think it can tell you any more than doing it at the end of a term. And I just think it's more teacher workload. And I'm, again, I'm very much about, let's just cut back on that teacher workload um, and just make sure that when, when we do assess and when we do those data um, uh, rounds, that they, they are used in the right way um, and supportive for teachers back in the classroom rather than just an exercise of having to collect things for the sake of it. Mm. Yeah. There's a real nuance to this whole discussion because you can take in the data in so many different ways and you can yeah. record it in many different ways and it can be extremely time consuming in some formats Absolutely. to yeah. do the full marking and then the area analysis yeah and uh, find the gaps and of course all that time that marking and analyzing is happening you can't be spending that on on planning and no you know the no. usual the usual stuff so you have to balance it don't you because sure yeah. you, you come out with some learning and that can tell you things and you go right yeah. now, now yeah. that my teaching to, to hit those gaps or whatever but um if you're doing that too much or if the way you do it, it takes so long yeah. that uh, it's taking out of the teacher's ability just to, to plan and teach um yeah. it's, a, it's a balancing act right it's a balancing it's about balancing that and um finding a place in your school that um um, that, you, that you're happy with in terms of um, how much does that add? How much value does that add back in the classroom? Mm. And certainly for me, um, that's what I'm about. When we're doing all of these things, um, how much value is it adding back in the classroom? How, much, how many children is that affecting if teachers are there doing things that, um, you know, they're not necessarily going back to if you ask them, to be honest. Um, so yeah it's being mindful of all of that mm. do you think that the type of data you're collecting as well can be important i mean for example some schools would do three data drops a year perhaps but they'd those data drops would, would be resulting in a say a beginning a working at or a secure and so that you're kind of testing and checking the trajectory of a child in terms mm. of their attainment but yeah. then how much is that necessarily formatively impacting the, absolutely the absolutely and of course there's elements of accountability you know we go back to that elements of accountability but for me teachers know teachers know um and they they can tell you who needs that support for me, it's about what do we do about that? What do we do when we get that data to support that, that particular child, that particular group of children, that particular teacher? Um, what do we do with that data? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you, Sonia. I think uh, I can tell you, you do honestly believe these things. You're not just saying it to be really popular amongst teachers. <laughs> <do you? laughs> no. No. We've been doing them for a while. We've been doing them as a school. Um, yeah. we've been kind of looking at these areas for a while mm. yeah yeah no because because it would be very easy to say well uh, you know do some more just sitting and reading to the children uh, mark a bit less and do less, <laughs> less data and analysis and make yourself the most popular woman amongst teachers in britain oh but, no we, but, we work very hard at st matthews <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> we're very busy yeah um thank you so the three th items for classroom 101 then sonia that you've sent in uh, the, the the phrase or, or, or the idea that there's no time to read aloud to children 
uh, excessive marking and more than three data drops a year. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Get rid of those. Hi there. I hope you're enjoying the show. This is a quick message to ask for your help. The aim of Classroom 101 is to support wider sharing of ideas and wisdom in education. So if you like what you hear from Sonia, I'd be really grateful if you could share this with others, whether verbally or via social media. You can tweet the show at Classroom101pod, me at AndyVT101, and Sonia will share her own details at the end of the episode too. The response to last week's episode with Adrian Bethune has been excellent. Thank you so much to everyone who's commented and shared it online, including Claire Mills, Gillian Isbista, and Georgina Young, to name but a few. It really means a lot, so thank you. Lastly, just to say, if you like what you're hearing, click subscribe or follow on whichever platform you're using so we can send you a notification as each new episode is released. Now, in the first series of Classroom 101, we conclude each episode with three quick questions to get to know our guests a little better. So let's get back to the show. Who has been the biggest influence on you as a person? Um, for me, I would say my parents. I know it sounds very obvious, but um, they uh, I, I'm one of ten. <gasps> yes. I, I just, when I learned this, I could not believe. You're, you're yes. number six out of ten, right, Sonia? I'm number six. <laughs> and um, my parents were very, very, um, very clear. And they, they, they're originally from Jamaica, came to England, um, and were very clear that they certainly wanted their children to do as well as they could do um, and certainly encouraged all of us to just work hard um, find our place um, and do as, as much as we can to make a difference um, um, both my parents are very much about um, supporting other people and I've, I've watched I've grown up watching them helping other people um, in lots of different aspects so they've been very influential on the person that I am um, and how, what my beliefs are. Right. Can I ask, how, how? can you give me an example or two of how they were helping other people? How, how did they find time to help anyone else when they've got 10 children, Sonia? <laughs> 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 what, what kind of things were they doing? Or Can you think of anything? Um, well, I, I'm, I was brought up um, as a Christian, and I am a Christian, and that, that again, that shapes the person that I am. Mm. Um, and so as part of the church that we were involved in, it did involve reaching out to people um, uh, who were in need um, and helping um, in, in any way that they could. So um, my as I said, my parents were very much about um, making sure that there was no one who wanted for anything. My mum's a, a massive cook, um, <laughs> so no one goes hungry. Um, even now, after this interview, I'm popping down. Oh, um, see what's on the fire down there. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> even now, that's not good, is it? <laughs> uh. But yeah, um, they, they, they're, they're they're very open and very, and very um, willing to help um, mm. anyone in need. So yeah, yeah. So I grew up, I grew up seeing lots of that. I grew up seeing lots of that. Even with nine other brothers and sisters, they made time um, for that as well. So yeah. Well, they sound just uh, inspirational. So um, yeah. Well, we best move on because you've got that uh, dinner. You know, one eye yes, on that dinner now, yes, haven't you? So yeah. <laughs> the second question I've got for you is: What's the hardest thing you've been through, and what did you learn? Okay. Um. 
I suppose this is a really personal one. When I had my daughter, um, I actually had her at 28 weeks. Oh, um, and, she, and she was actually one pound five ounces. Um, yeah, so she was a big, as big as my hand, really. Wow. A, a bag of, a, the small, the small bags of sugar. Um, and when I, I actually went into hospital through two months before I had her, and when I came out of hospital, they actually said to me that when you came in, Sonia, we actually didn't hold that much hope. But you were so, so positive um, that we just actually just let you carry on and just enjoy being there. And I ended up, um, I was in a lovely room. I used to watch lots of telly. I used to do my own monitoring. Um, <laughs> they used to come in with the doctors and the trainees. And, and I loved it. And I never thought that it would be ne a negative outcome. I never thought that. I never believed that. Um, so I just think you've got to bring your own positivity to things. Um, somebody, it was very interesting. One of the teachers said to me to, to, um, sometime this week, it takes two muscles to, it takes 300 and something muscles to frown, and it takes two to smile. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's just so much easier just to be, to just to be happy and positive. Um, I'm not saying I don't get, you know, fed up and annoyed and um don't feel as if i can't do things but i'm a i'm a bit of a glass half full person mm. so um and i think that i learned that actually positivity makes a real really big difference belief and certainly if belief for me yeah, my, my my faith was really important mm. so and that really makes you know gives me the confidence i've learned a lot from that um, experience so yeah and now my daughter's 19 and at university yeah. so studying yeah. law right yeah studying law yeah, yeah. Uh, do, do, do you think that if it wasn't for your belief she might not be here yeah I do actually I, I definitely believe that um, mm. because I just as I said I was just I mean hey, I, I, I actually went from work I left work and I went I was going to an appointment and they said well you can't leave so I, I kind of didn't even go home after that appointment um so when they said that I was like yes I have to go back to work <laughs> so that was the first positive thing um <laughs> no wonder I stayed in the hospital for two, I stayed in the hospital for three months so it was great and I thought <laughs> I'm not at work <laughs> this is brilliant <laughs> <laughs> practically yeah. a sabbatical that's so, yeah 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 it was great so you know um but yeah, yeah i mean you must have had to to really find some strength oh yeah there, were, there was and there was certainly you know i'm saying it as if you know it was it was an easy time it was very difficult mm. um uh, and there were times when as i said it was touch and go touch mm. and go but lots of praying lots of um, believing lots of reading scriptures and things like that and yeah and smiling. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of smiling. Lots of smiling. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Sonia. And a great and a great doctor and a great doctor. The National Health Service, I won't hear a bad word said about it. Yeah. So with you there. Yeah. Um, thank you. So finally, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Um, best advice. Think about that one. Um, certainly, for me, best advice is um, you can do you can do it. Whatever you want to do, if you put your mind to it, you can get it done. You can get it done. Um, 
again, it kind of links to the, the previous question. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I certainly ha didn't have great positive experiences at school. I didn't particularly have teachers that believed that as uh, I remember being at school and, and teachers saying, and people always say, you only remember it, you know, that's not true. But actually, I do remember teachers saying that you, you're not going to do very well. Really? Um, yeah. And yes. you're saying that as pl plural, teachers? Teachers, teachers, not that's expecting good outcomes. And certainly coming from a, 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 an African-Caribbean family, a big family, you know, not going to do well. Um, but, you know, parents just saying you can do it nothing mm -hmm. can stop you and i'm not saying there haven't been bad times in that there hasn't haven't been difficult situations but i've not given up you can do it you can do it and things some for some people things don't come easy and i think that struggle sometimes is a good is a good thing sometimes you do have to struggle life can be a struggle mm. but um if you keep going you're positive and I feed that back in being a deputy working in schools um and certainly the school I've, I've always worked in inner city schools um and I value what our children bring into school we call it sharing our literacy sharing literacy lives their heritage their culture is a big thing that we value we make time and space to talk about um and it's not just about us imparting knowledge but it's about finding out from children what is it that you're coming to school with and then building on that mm. um and of course knowledge 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 because we want them to have choices we want them to go for it and i'm not saying university i'm not saying becoming prime minister my goodness um, even in these difficult times uh, we need some fresh ideas but Please. Um, it's about having choices choices um, and i'm all about choices and in terms of that can do uh, philosophy is there anyone who's particularly apart from your parents is there anyone yeah. who's particularly inspired you in that regard um the, the, the previous head teacher that I worked for um, was always, um, I've been inspired by her, um, people, other, other teachers that I worked with, um, people like Teresa Kremin, um, people like Marilyn Mottram, just very, very positive people who have always um, been about the children mm. and opportunities for children and how we can make a difference for children um you know and that's been again really positive um i've worked with somebody called rosemary campbell again really really inspirational i'm um, talking about um everybody children are everybody's responsibility um and it's not just you and yours it's about everybody um so some lot of some, re some really great people that i've been able to Mm. Yeah. And would I be right in in sort of surmising from what you're saying that you, a lot of these people uh, have these really high expectations and these of children that they can really achieve perhaps yeah. more, more more than others. Yeah, absolutely. And all children. And as I said, you know, um, not not wanted to keep making the point, but certainly. Um, children from Afri African Caribbean heritage, um, minority ethnic groups, um, just not give, not saying that that is a barrier, but actually we know that there are lots of things going on. We know that there, can, there are difficulties, but 
every child needs a champion and um i'm very much about you know traditional behavior um things have got to be right but i'm also about not writing anyone off mm. um because actually every child needs somebody who's going to say i'm not going to give up on you you can you can make it yeah brilliant thank you so much sonia it's been so interesting to chat to you and I would absolutely continue if, if I didn't know that you've got that image of your, <laughs> your mum's cooking in your head. So you're much more interested yes. in that than me. And yeah. I don't blame you. So um, just, just to finish by saying yeah. thanks so much for giving me your time, um, especially in your first week of headship. I yeah. hope it continues to go uh, well for you. Just to finish with, Sonia, can you just tell any listeners who might be thinking, oh, I really want to connect with with Sonia uh, or learn more about her or her school where, where would they go um I am on Twitter and mm-hmm. I, um, I do love Twitter um I'm, I, I'm at son s-o-n number one b-u-n mm-hmm. son one bun I do um bits and bobs around the place I sometimes present at research ed do come and see me I think I'm doing the Birmingham one and uh, with Claire, Claire Stoneman so yeah, come along to my session, which is about curriculum. Actually, I've actually been asked to contribute to a book. I'm not writing a book, oh my goodness, but I've, I've been asked to contribute to a book. So that's really exciting. So um, that's something Tell to look out for. Um, I don't think I can. Okay. But, okay. Um, but yes, um, <laughs> when, when, it, when it, I can, I will certainly make sure that you're, you're the first to know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so very excited about that. Certainly um, UKLA, OU, Teacher Reading Group, look out for me uh, at conferences if you're interested in moving reading for pleasure forward. So yeah, lo- lots of places. But you can find St Matthews in Birmingham, in Neachels, please come along and, and visit. We love visitors. Um, lots of people come through our school um, coming to look at our practice. So um, we're always happy to share, um, always. We never keep anything from anyone. If we've got something that makes any other school's workload easier, we're happy to share. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you so much, Sonia. Uh, You're welcome. Uh, Sonia Thompson, thank you for being our guest on Classroom 101. Thank you, Andy. Education's in pretty bad shape. Teachers are leaving on a plan and their escape. There's not enough time to teach the things you should. Time to banish education since you do it if you could. Time for classroom 101. Time